Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, March 15th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news, including this morning's Academy Award nominations. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Swai Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Vangelista. Hi. All right, everyone. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another week. Uh, I'm going to spring this on my fellow podcasters right now. So instead of uh, us just sort of, you know, reading through the nominations, which people can read at SlashFilm.com, I thought we'd mix things up a little bit. I've, I've in our document here, listed, you know, each person with a category that you're going to read. And I would like you guys to read the list of nominees and then finish with the nominee that you uh, either think will win or hope will win. And you can you can choose uh, and and you know explain to the audience, the listeners, uh, what your your choice is. To just to you know add a little bit of fun to the proceedings here. So uh, let's let's kick things off. Uh, HT, let's start with you. You're going to read the nominees for Best Actor. Okay, Best Actor nominees include Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins, The Father, Gary Oldman, Mank, and Stephen Yun, Minari. And we're doing who we hope or think will win. Yeah, either one, whichever one, or both, if you want to throw both of them in there. I'll throw both in the ring. Um, I'm going to go against the grain, and I hope that Riz Ahmed wins for Sound of Metal just because I absolutely adore his performance. It was the one that really resonated the most with me, even though Steven Yeun with Minari was also really high up there with uh, high up there with my favorites. But I think will win is uh, Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom just because of the uh, cultural importance of his posthumous nomination. Okay. Uh, Chris, let's go to you. You have the nominees for Best Actress. Uh, okay. Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, Andra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Frances McDormand for Nomadland. And Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Um, if I were voting, I would vote for Frances McDormand, but I kind of think Carrie Mulligan is going to win this because... Interesting. I just feel like Promising Young Woman has been 
a surprising award season contender. I, I I think the movie is good. I don't think it's as good as everyone else seems to think. So I continue to be surprised that it's doing so well in award season, but I kind of think that's how it's, it's shaping up. Okay. Uh, Brad, you have the nominees for best director. Indeed. Uh, so for best director, we have Thomas Vinterberg for another round, David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari or Minari, uh, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. And uh, I think that Chloe Zhao is the one who will likely come away with this award. Um, Nomadland has been doing very well on the award circuit, as has Chloe as a director. And I wouldn't be surprised uh, if a lot of Academy members want to try and make some history. Um, by making uh, an Asian female director, the, you know, the first one to actually win this award since it's a big deal that she was also nominated. But personally, I um, I would also be very happy if Lee Chung won because I think uh, Minari is fantastic. And it's, in a way, it, it shares similarities with Nomadland, even though the stories are different and the, um, I guess one of them is, is a little more hopeful in one regard than the other. And that's not to say that uh, no Man Land is without hope, but it's a little bit more bleak, I feel mm. like. Um, so, but yeah, I, I would be happy with if either one of them uh, won that award, but I feel like Chloe Zhao is going to be the one to take it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read the nominees for Best Original Screenplay. Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, if I were voting... I think I would give this sound a medal. I mean, we've talked a lot about this movie on the podcast over the past few months, um, especially at the end of 2020 when we were doing our sort of best moments of the year and favorite movies of the year and all that stuff. So I'm not going to go too long on that, but I just, I love that movie in the way that it's, it's structured and and how everything about it just feels truly, I mean, the, the, the category is best original screenplay and sound of metal truly feels like an original story that we haven't seen before. Um, I'm guessing this is going to go to the trial of the Chicago seven, which is a movie that uh, I think all of us were, um, you know, a, a little bit, it wasn't any of our like number one favorite movies of the year. We'll put it that way. Um, I, I know Brad liked it more than anybody else on this episode of the show, but um, so it's not like a terrible movie, but uh, it's a movie that I think earned an inexplicable number of Oscars today. And um, it's also yeah. category fraud, Ben, because no one is talking about this, but that production bought the rights to the documentary the chicago 10 and then um over the years that documentary exchanged hands numerous times and now suddenly even though the production is based on a documentary it's now an original screenplay which i call foul oh so it should be best adapted interesting i did not know that okay is that um is that the is that netflix's fault because they wanted it submitted for original or is that just how the rules made it so that it couldn't be submitted as adapted because the documentary has changed hands I, that's such a I, it's a good question my, my guess is that netflix pushed it for original uh and I, my guess is hoping that everybody forgot that this production was yeah. at one point based on a documentary <laughs> that they literally paid the rights for in order to base a feature on it man interesting okay um all right jacob let's go to you you're gonna read the nominees for uh, best picture yeah best picture there are eight of them this year uh, the father judas and the black messiah make uh, minari nomad land promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of the chicago seven if it was me my vote goes to sound of metal it was very high in personal list my highest ranked of these movies which is a uh, outside of Chicago 7, I think a really outstanding lineup of movies. It's hard for me to complain about seven of these movies being here personally. Uh, sorry, I sorry, I have not seen The Father, so six of these movies. 
I can vouch for. Uh, but I, I think Nomadland has this in the bag. It's been, it has too much momentum. It's won all the other awards. It's the one movie that everybody rightfully likes. So I think that's the one that's going to actually take it. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's go around the circle one more time with uh, another round of categories here. Um, HT, why don't you read the Best Adapted Screenplay nominees? Best Adapted Screenplay nominees are Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. So my pick is going to be for both ones that I, the one that I want and that I want, the one I think will win is Nomadland. Again, like everyone has been saying, it's got the the momentum for this award season and it was also my favorite movie of the year. So I think it's just an exquisite film and I'm happy that it got nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay and I think it will take away that prize. Excellent. Uh, Chris, Best Animated Film. Uh, Onward, Over the Moon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Uh, I've only actually seen two of these movies, so I don't know how qualified I am to say who's going to win. I guess I would, of the two I've seen, I would vote for Soul because I think Onward is actually a bad movie. I'm, I, I don't think it deserves any awards. It's, it's kind of a shitty film, honestly, but, but that's what I think. But uh, if between the two I've seen, Soul would be the one I would vote for. But I know a lot of people, especially on this podcast, have said Wolfwalkers is very good. And Wolf I need to get around Walkers. to watching that at some point. You need to watch Wolfwalkers. <laughs> so I believe it's on Hulu. So I will, I will watch it at some point. Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus. I don't have Apple TV Plus. I don't know what that is. I don't have that. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, yeah, hopefully I, I think it definitely will come down to those two. It's going to be a battle between soul and wolf walkers. So we'll, we'll see which one, uh, ends up taking it. Um, Brad, let's go to best score. What are the nominees there? Uh, the nominees are the five bloods, Mank, Minari, news of the world and soul. And, uh, the one I think should win. And the one I want to win is without a doubt soul. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross uh, made an incredible score that sounds unlike any music that Pixar has used in their movies before. Even back when I did like the advanced press day for this movie, the music is something that stuck out to me immediately. They just came up with this really interesting sound to represent the ethereal plane of the great beyond and the great before and um, just came up with some cool instrumentals to bring that just, you know, other world to, to life. And so, yeah, I think that definitely deserves it. Okay, uh, I'm going to read the nominees now for Best Supporting Actor. We have Sasha Baron Cohen in The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami, Paul Racy in Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield in Judas and the Black Messiah. If I were voting, this would go to Paul Racy, which I think is a, a surprise and and a great um, you know piece of inclusion on this list. I, I really like that performance a lot. Um, which one do I think will actually win? This is a tough one. Um, man, I, I maybe Daniel Kaluuya in Judas and the Black Messiah. Anybody else have any uh, like strong feelings about how they, you know, think that the tide might turn in this category? Can I give you my galaxy brain theory for what happens? Oh, please do. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, Lakeith Stanfield, both being from Judas and the Black Messiah, knock each other out to put the vote. People realize that Tasha Baron Cohen's actually bad. Charles Chicago Seven don't vote for him. Leslie Odom Jr. is a movie. Well, not Miami. We didn't get a lot of momentum, 
which leaves the door open for Paul Racy to pull a surprise <laughs> upset. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, I, I would be thrilled with that outcome. Um, Cynically, I want to say, what if all that happens, but we end up with a Sasha Baron Cohen win for Child of the Chicago 7? If it was for, for Borat's subsequent movie film, I'd be all about that, because he's great in Borat, but man, is I, can, I don't like that performance at all in Trial of Chicago 7. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, Jacob, take us hopefully to something that you do like a little bit more in the Best Supporting Actress category. Uh, list those nominees for us. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat Subsequent Movie Film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Make, and Yu Zhang Yoon for Minari. This is a w- strange category. I feel like there's no like obvious frontrunner here. Uh, if I was picking... I'd go for Amanda Seyfried from Mank because I think she's she's a wonderful actress and that is one of the key parts of that movie and she I think she's like the soul of that movie in a lot of ways. But considering the momentum of how things are going, I think Maria Bakalova could pull us off a of Borat. I think she's going to win it. That would be very interesting and kind of awesome. Um, yeah, I, I can't be mad like- at it. Too awesome for the Oscars, but I don't know. We'll we'll see. Maybe they they've surprised me before, so we'll we'll see what happens. All right. So um, you know, you guys can read more about the uh, nominees that we did not list at the uh, article that I'll link in the show notes. We also put together a surprises and snubs article, um, and we're not going to go through every single one of those. Again, I encourage you to click on the link and, and read the full thing. But I just wanted to sort of uh, yeah take us around the horn one more time and have each each of us talk about just one thing that either uh, surprised us or, or sort of rubbed us the wrong way in terms of a snub. Um, HT, let's start with you. First cow. <laughs> First cow got completely snubbed, not only by the Oscars, but basically this entire awards season. It has gotten no momentum uh, throughout the uh, SAG, uh, DGA, and uh, everything, all the other like lead-ups to the Oscars. And uh, it's a real big shame because it was one of my favorite, one of my favorite movies of uh, 2020, and it was on it topped many critics' best of lists. But for some reason, despite uh, Kelly Richard giving a really lovely and low key uh, pioneer drama that is about this uh, really intense and deep male friendship, and, and it's just about. <laughs> wanting to who who just want to open their own baked goods shop with a cow it's it just kind of got it got completely overlooked and i'm still incensed by it and uh i just want to give my shout out to first cow a movie that we don't deserve <laughs> okay uh chris let's go to you uh i am very baffled at how the five bloods has been pretty much ignored through most of this award season i've seen the argument that like, oh, it came out in the summer. And I always hate that argument. It's like, are your attention spans really that short Oscar voters that like anything that came out in the summer, you can't consider like, that's a bullshit thing. But even if you want to like overlook that movie as a whole, the fact that uh, Delroy Lindo's performance is, is getting ignored is, is truly strange because not only like, is that, I think like the best performance of the year. It's like one of the best performances I've ever seen on screen. It's just a, like a towering performance. And I don't understand why it keeps getting just completely overlooked. I think there were like one or two like local groups, maybe like the Chicago group. I can't remember who it was, who who've recognized him and given him an award. And I know critics choice nominated him because I'm in critics choice and I voted for him, but he didn't win. Uh, but it's it's just it's insane to me like this this performance is just staggering and i don't know if it's like 
too subtle a performance. I don't, I, 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 I generally don't have an answer as to why he's been overlooked to not even like nominate him. is just like the final slap in the face because one of the, one of the narratives that always pops up for Oscar season is this actor is overdue. So even if you want to overlook all that stuff I said, I would think we could argue that Delroy Lindo is an actor who's long overdue for awards recognition. He's been turning out great work through, you know, his, his whole career. So I, I, I am genuinely uh, befuddled by this. I, I, I usually am befuddled by award season in general, but this is like the most egregious example I can think of in a long time. Like what? I don't get it. Someone explain it to me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think every year there's always one and you're right. I think this does seem like the most egregious uh, lack of a nomination this year is that like tremendous performance from Delroy Orlando. Um, okay. So Brad, let's go to you. What, uh, what surprise or snub did you want to talk about? So it's great that uh, Borat subsequent movie film did get a nomination for best adapted screenplay and for Maria Bakalova. But I continue to be frustrated by the fact that the Academy consistently ignores comedies in the major categories. Case in point, Sacha Baron Cohen not getting a nomination uh, for his performance in Borat's subsequent movie film. And the movie not getting uh, nominated for Best Picture, what I think is totally deserving as a comedy. And it's just really frustrating that a lot of times the Academy, when a comedy does manage to break through and land some Oscar nominations, it usually gets the nominations in the categories that... Borat 2 was nominated for uh, a supporting actor or actress nomination and usually one of the screenplay nominations. The same thing happened with uh, Bridesmaids, which was a huge hit, critically acclaimed, and Melissa McCarthy made it in there, and then the, the screenplay also made it in there. And it's just a shame that comedy is consistently overlooked. For some reason, for a movie to be considered Oscar-worthy, it has to be uh, this big, powerful drama. And comedy is hard, supremely hard. In um, in some cases, it's harder than drama because you're trying to tap into making people laugh who have so many different kinds of sense of humor. And so to make a comedy land is extremely difficult. And so I just wish that the comedy, the Academy would stop being so stuffy when it comes to comedies and would recognize uh, them more often. And so, like I said, while I'm glad Borat did get the nomination that did, I feel like it maybe deserved a little bit more. Yeah, I think those are those are fair points. Um, so for me, I think one of the biggest surprises was the inclusion of both Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield in the Best Supporting Actor category for Judas and the Black Messiah. I think Daniel Kaluuya has like the sort of like powerhouse performance there as Fred Hampton Jr. Like that that is the performance of that movie as far as I'm concerned. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield is good in the movie, but doesn't have nearly as much to do as that character. He feels overshadowed in a lot of ways, um, like purposely, like the, the structure of the movie is about the uh, Fred Hampton sort of like overshadowing him and, and this um, Bill O'Neill character basically like coming to grips with what he is being asked to do by the FBI and, and the sort of trance that Kaluuya's character um, casts over him and, and the sort of push and pull the the battle for this character's soul. Um, it, it's, it's kind of incredible. And like he Stanfield is good, but uh, best supporting actor good. And, and that two uh, performances from one movie got in this category. I'm, I'm just a little surprised. I think a lot of people probably predicted that Daniel Kaluuya would be in the mix here. But I'm, I'm guessing not that many predicted Lakeith Stanfield in this category as well. So um, that's just something that sort of caught me off guard. Um, Jacob, let's go to you to round this out. Uh, how often does the actual best performance of a year get nominated <laughs> for an Oscar? <laughs> uh, I mean, as Chris already talked about Delroy Lindo, who d- a 
being missed here is egregious, but uh, Paul Racy being nominated for Best Supporting Actor is an example of them actually getting it right. It's the kind of performance that is so real, it doesn't feel like acting. I feel like actors like actors who act with a capital A, and that's who they tend to vote for a lot of the time, whereas actors who are so invisible that you forget you're watching a performance, and this, it feels natural in a way that eases over you instead of like calling attention to yourself constantly. Uh, Paul Racy is doing very special work in Sound of Metal, and the fact that he's nominated is the most pleasant surprise to me of this entire uh, slate. Excellent. Um, so I wanted to finish up this episode by just running through a couple pieces of trivia that we saw pop up on Twitter and, and articles and elsewhere. Um, Kloja and uh, Emerald Fennell, this is the first time that two women have been nominated for Best Director in the same year uh, ever. And this is also, um, it puts them as number six and number seven uh, on the all-time list of women who have been nominated for Best Director in the, the entire history of the Oscars, which is like 90-something years. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it took a very, very long time to get this far. And uh, uh, yeah, well overdue. I think. Really, really quick, I would also like to add, since we, well, we didn't talk about this in the snubs area, I'm uh, actually fairly frustrated that Regina King didn't end up being part of this ensemble as well, because mm. uh, One Night in Miami is an incredible film it also got snubbed for best picture and i just want to throw that out there that i love that movie i think regina king directed the hell out of it and i wish that it got a little bit more love this award season but brad yeah. women can only have so much space it gave gave women two spots are you saying women deserve three spots brad that's a good we, point what, jacob what? i for, i forgot we do have to keep women down <laughs> sorry ht you're hearing the group mind men talk about how this all works you're usually not invited to these parties oh no Okay, uh, so um, Minari's Steven Yeun and uh, Yoon Yo Jung became the first actors born in Korea to earn nominations, so that's kind of a, a big deal there, uh, especially coming on the heels of, uh, of Parasite, a movie that really did incredibly well last year, although it was basically shut out. I think it was actually fully shut out of all of the acting categories, so it seems sort of like a, a little bit of a corrective to, uh, to last year's mistakes. Um, Minari producer Christina Oh is the first Asian American woman to receive the nomination for Best Picture, and then sort of along those lines, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah marks the first time an all-black producing lineup earned a nomination for Best Picture, and that would be uh, Shaka King, who also directed the movie, uh, Charles D. King, and Ryan Coogler, who produced that film. So um, I'm sure there are other pieces of trivia that we just haven't like you know fully parsed all of these nominees yet to to be able to figure out, but I just wanted to mention those because they're you know historic and, and noteworthy and very cool. So. Um, yeah, I think that's basically going to bring us to the end of today's episode. It's just a, a short uh, Oscar episode. And again, I encourage you all to to click on these links to these stories and, and sort of dive a little bit deeper if you want to know more about uh, some of the other categories that we didn't discuss. Um, I guess before we leave, um, do we have any other like closing thoughts on, on the nominations? Is anybody like feeling especially good or bad or peeved or, or anything about uh, what happened this morning? Uh, this is the Oscars that I've been less least annoyed by in literally years, maybe 15 years. Uh, not because it did a whole lot better, because it just didn't do too much egregious. I mean, there's only a handful of truly egregious things here, uh, and I was kind of prepared for them. I will say that I'm looking looking over these nominees. There's no way Mank wins any of his ten nominations, right? If it's one of movies like like The Irishman, it goes. Is it going to pull zero. the Irishman from last year? Yeah, I think so. Exactly. I think that there's Mank's one of those movies that's eligible for so much because of its breadth. But I cannot imagine it winning a single trophy. I'm curious if you guys have any other similar thoughts looking at this list of what you may think will win big or won't. Hmm. 
I mean, I think you guys have said it like Nomadland seems like the movie that has had the most momentum for the longest time. And it's impressive. Like the, the whole host, the whole Oscar race is like this really long thing. And it's like, uh, you know, this this train that has to, um, you know, th- there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. And for Nomadland to start that hype as early as it did and and remain consistently, you know, at the, at the top and um, on, in the forefront of people's minds for this long, the longest Oscar season in history, um, I think is really impressive. And I think speaks to that movie staying power in, in voters' minds. So um, yeah, I think that's the movie that's probably going to clean up um, in terms of overall uh, awards and things like that. Um, let's see any other, any, anybody else have any other, other thoughts, any sort of like macro observations of any of the nominations here? Not about the nominations, but I will say I'm very curious to see how the ceremony goes this year. Um, because the golden globes were a disaster and, uh, the Oscars is usually a better produced show. People care about it more, but in the age of the coronavirus pandemic, I'm just not sure if they can pull off an exciting ceremony considering all of the, restrictions that will still be in place when it comes around in april um but i hope that they can do something great with it because i will say i watched the grammys yesterday um and they put together uh quite an impressive show to the point where the performances during the show were actually better than they would have been if they were confined to the stages that they usually are at the grammys because it forced not necessarily forced maybe allowed artists to do interesting things um on various venues outside of you know the the grammys um arena which is usually the staples center right isn't that where it usually happens i think so yeah yeah so i i obviously the oscars can't necessarily do as much because there aren't a ton of performances to be had other than those that are nominated for best original song but i just i hope that there's a way to make it interesting so it's not just you know the same rigmarole we've seen for award shows for you know the past year the Grammys might actually be the Nokia Theater in LA. I don't. I don't know. It's one of those two. So please don't send us angry emails if you're like a huge Grammy fan out there. <laughs> um, so, well, Brad, let me ask you really quick before we wrap up this episode. Like, wh- what was that experience like? Did, did they? You're talking about how they could perform on, you know, a, in a way that wasn't uh, as encumbered as it would be just on that single stage. What did they do? Did they have people perform remotely from like outdoor stages or I, I didn't watch any of the Grammys at all. So, yeah, so there were, there were some, um, that were like outdoor venues, but like, it was really interesting actually, because it was almost like they shot live music videos for a lot of these performances. Um, <laughs> like I, I, th- I think a lot of them were still indoor, but they, they had, uh, very elegantly and well-constructed stages with like full on sets and, uh props and everything like like really impressive production design but there were there were some where like there was one that was shot outside that was super impressive to me the way that just it moved around in this big space it made it feel like an actual like uh like neighborhood block and just involved a lot of moving pieces and it was super impressive um so uh, again this is it's probably the kind of things where you wouldn't necessarily see this happen at the oscars because they don't normally do that it's really mostly about the awards and just seeing all the celebrities there and whatnot but um it was I, I was super impressed by how the grammys pulled off so i hope that the oscars have figured out a way to make the ceremony interesting yeah i think the president of the academy right before these nominations came out this morning confirmed a rumor that uh this year's oscar ceremony is going to be taking place at the dolby theater which is where it always takes place in in hollywood um, but it's also going to take place at uh, union station in Los Angeles. So I think there were there were some rumblings that they might be able to incorporate, you know, like a, a live audience element, um, even during the 
age of the coronavirus because of the size of that venue and, and being able to have enough room to space people out and stuff. So yeah, I'm curious as well to see what that looks like, uh, the Oscars being split from two sort of home base locations. So um, the ceremony itself will air on Sunday, April 25th, in case anybody wants to add that to your calendars right now. Um, okay, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the show. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world, the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. Uh, you can subscribe to this show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.